This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard. As an American, there is no greater privilege and responsibility than choosing who will represent you and your family to determine the course of history, your lives, the economy, your health, your safety. On November 3rd, please choose to vote. To vote early, or if you need an absentee or mail-in ballot, please visit vote.org. Your future self thanks you. Hi, I'm Michael LaRossi. I am a vice president at Avery Dennison, responsible for innovation and sustainability. And what I love about innovation is that anything is possible. I'm a possibilist. Nothing is ever easy, but I believe that through innovation, through technology, we can solve some of the world's most challenging problems through creativity, through technology, and oftentimes through very, very pragmatic solutions. From New York City, you are listening to Fashion Is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the fashion industry. Uh, hey, everybody, I'm Mark Rako, and I'm here with my good friend, Mr. Pavan Ball. Hey, Pavan, how are you? Hello, hello. I'm doing well, Mark. How are you holding up, man? I'm all right, man. All right. And also with us, of course, is Mike uh, Colorossi from Avery Dennison. Uh, Mike, uh, welcome to the show. We're so happy to have you here uh, and glad to have Avery Dennison uh, back in our midst again. Well, Pavan and Mark, nice to meet you, and I'm really happy to, to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Uh, let's start here. Uh, you, uh, at the beginning of the show, mentioned that you are a possibilist, which I am in love with that term. Uh, so a possibilist, uh, of course, is someone who looks at what's possible. So maybe a way that we could learn about what it is that you're responsible for and the initiatives going on at Avery Dennison that circle around that. Um, how is what you, a way we could unpack that is to talk about what is it that you are making possible? What does your work make possible? Yeah, so Avery Dennison is a unique company. We sit really at the nexus of the fashion industry supply chain. So we work with brands, we work with retailers, we work with factories to really solve and provide solutions to some of their biggest problems, whether that's uh, technology, like RFID technology, to enable the supply chain to provide clarity of inventory and to drive efficiency across that supply chain, or whether it's thinking about ways that we can help brands and retailers enable sustainability by putting a label or a tag that a consumer could scan on a garment and, and enable them to return it, resell it, or recycle it. Um, and so because of the solution, because of the connections that we have within the industry and where we sit, we have this very unique opportunity to pull multiple parties together uh, to create a true industry solution versus maybe just specific, specific spot solutions. As a result of COVID, um, myself, and I'm assuming I'm a reflection on a broader market of folks, uh, have been really prioritizing their dollars in terms of really voting uh, for brands with, um, with my purchase. And how have you seen this accelerated, I guess, mindfulness in the consumer base uh, that's already kind of, how has it impacted your business from, you know, uh, from accomplishing some of the brand priorities? Look, I think, I think you're absolutely right. A lot of consumers are tight right now when it comes to their financial situation. And so they are much more conscious about the purchasing decisions that they are making. What we're seeing is because of that consciousness, brands and consumers are placing a lot more importance on the sustainability of the product, the sustainability and the ethos of the companies in which they're, they're, they're dealing with, but also the experience that they're having. So whether that's now more through an online experience or through things like um, uh, purchase online and pick up, pick up at the curb or curbside, curbside pickup. Uh, I think of my, my, own, my own situation in that 
we were living in Massachusetts, we were hit pretty hard by the pandemic early on. And I quickly became accustomed to buying everything online and picking up it, picking it up in store or picking it up at, at the curbside. And I just think about my, my own situation that it saved us an incredible amount of time. And I don't know that we're going to be going back to a situation where I'm going to be going to retail outlets all the time to, to procure my, my goods and services. And so we're focusing on providing technologies like RFID to enable a lot of those unique efficiency experiences, not only for a consumer, but also for brands to be able to drive that, that you know, purchase online, pick up curbside sort of experience. Yeah, you know, when you talk about sustainability, we could talk about, um, you know, the carbon. Most people related to directly to carbon footprint of a brand in their manufacturing process, their delivery, their logistics, whatever it might be, the full impact of a product. Um, if we're staying on that thread, I'm assuming that's where Avery Dennison kind of lends in some of their solutions. But, you know, going into 2019, we were hearing a lot about moving towards a circular economy, like a lot, right? So that wave had already started from the brand side. But I guess going back to my original comment, um, of course, yeah, everybody is a little bit more conscious in terms of um, prioritizing their dollars from a budgeting standpoint, but also from an alignment of brand standpoint. So I'm, I'm only investing in brands that are doing, quote unquote, the right thing in my mind or my, my uh, mind's eye, right? So um, how have you seen kind of that side also uh, be, become affected? If I think, I think the definition of, of the wave or the example of a wave is, is really important. I actually think the wave is either peaking right now or it's even cresting um, and that we are seeing momentum in this space. The number of brands, the number of retailers that are talking about real solutions to enable circularity in, or to enable the circular economy has increased exponentially over over the last, I would say, year. And it hasn't slowed due to the right. pandemic. And in fact, I think it's accelerated. And so we're now moving away from the talk to actually to actually the action where within the next probably six months, you will start to see products on the shelf that are going to be pilots, but will have unique technology that's embedded in them or labeling technology has been applied that will allow a consumer like yourself to use your mobile phone, scan it, and it will tell you the story behind the garment. It will tell you, was it recycled? Was it made of recycled goods? But it also will tell you, how do you donate this? Or how do you recycle this? Or how do you return it to the, the, the brand themselves? Um, to make certain that that it does become part of the circular economy, and I would say it's it's no longer um, the 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 responsibility or the accountability of the quote unquote sustainable brands. Every brand is talking about it, and I think every brand is looking at it um, as a need that is driven by more consumer awareness on this particular topic. Yeah. If we if we could actually just uh, stay on this topic for a second and peel the onion one additional layer, talk about that elephant in the room that you mentioned, which is the pandemic. You know, on the outside, maybe even with an uninformed through an uninformed lens, a lot of what has I think brands that have been slower to to the table as far as sustainability initiatives and so forth has been that they see it as either a distraction or an expense that they're not willing to commit to right now or don't have the, the means to commit to to move fully in that direction. And then as they see, you know, the trends happening, this may be an unavoidable path they must follow when they start integrating it in or it's a reinvention of their brand ethos. And so they start going there and so forth. Right. Okay. But in this moment, a lot of brands are also trying to keep their doors open. So, so how, can, can you talk about what, how you're thinking and, and what you're hearing out there is this, if for the brands that are thinking about this as an expense that may be eventually inevitable, how can they be thinking about this now? Or is this a path to survival because it is a reality unfolding in front of us? I, I believe it's a path to survival. 
I believe that while sustainability and, and circularity was a nice thing to do in the past, I believe that more and more companies are recognizing that it is the only way to survive from two from two reasons from two reasons one that's a strong uh, statement mike that's a that's a big statement yeah it, it's it's big but i but i think the reality is that consumers particularly when when our wallets have all shrunk um we're making decisions now that are more informed and 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 they're more informed based upon some of the the sustainability messaging or the personal beliefs that we hold and we're seeing it not only in what we sort of say environmental sustainability, but people care about where their garment is being manufactured and who is making that garment and how are those individuals being treated treated fairly. Um, so, I, so I think more consumers are becoming educated and they're all, that's going to be a trend that we continue to see happening. But I also think brands recognize that sustainability is a great marketing message if you do it right, but if you do it wrong and if you get it wrong, it can be incredibly damaging to you. And so you have to do it right. And in doing it right, sustainability is really about taking waste out of your systems. And, and it's ultimately, if you become more sustainable as an organization, you generally become more profitable because you are producing less for example, in the apparel industry. We all know that the apparel industry is notorious for overproduction. Well, yeah, you know, it's, it's like if it wasn't the environmental impact potential, which clearly it wasn't from an industry-wide um, perspective, um, that didn't help things, right? Because we're way past yep. the point where we're, we, we've already blasted through that wall. Um, and then you, you had a lot of studies going into 2018, 2019 about how sustainability practices actually increase valuation, increase profitability, and still people weren't really willing to invest in the actual transition or transformation, I should say. And now that the consumer, like myself, is actually voting with their dollar, I'm voting for the ones that have already done it, that have already been concerned about this from the get. And you know, I'm also finding that it's, it's actually really like I have to be super judicious with it um, but there's not a lot of brands that I really align with, unfortunately, that are on that mega side. So to your point, when you're, you're saying like the scaling back, right? So production means you have to scale back. You need less employees. You need less resources. You know, I, I wonder what it needs, um, what needs to happen to kind of shake some of these executives' heads and say, look, smaller is not worse. Smaller could be better, right? Like there's, there's always been this kind of intrinsic view of like a large company is better than a smaller company or a mid-sized company. And I just, you know, something really, really, I, I, this is the moment I feel that people are, are getting rattled and I, maybe, maybe there is, a, you know, maybe this is, a, there's a, a real silver lining in all of this. I, I hope you're right. Um, but, yeah. but, but, I, but I also, I also sometimes get concerned that, we're talking about this as a first word, first world problem almost. Some of us have a luxury of yeah. voting with our wallet. There, there is a large segment of our population that consumes a massive amount of apparel, but they can't vote with their wallet or they don't vote with their wallet as much because they need to that $10 t-shirt because that's all that they can afford. And so one thing that's going to be interesting, I think, to watch over the next, let's say, five years is will you see a bifurcation of this where the luxury or the, or the, middle, the middle tier of the market and going up to the luxury brands move in this more sustainable direction and the bottom part of this tier stays stagnant because it is all about cost. Look, if you're seeing drastic reductions in the physical footprint of brands um, and you're now – if you are a believer that this increase in activity on e-com will sustain post-pandemic or whatever this new um, reality of, of user behavior or consumer behavior is, you know, we, we went from like 12 percent. Some people will say 7 percent. Some people will say up to 15 percent. But that's all e-commerce was. Yep. Um, and now you're looking at 50, 60 percent across the board. There's a real opportunity here if the margins are that fat and juicy um, and you're cutting back on your physical. I don't see why there's a, 
a need for you to to make your products cost prohibitive. So to your point, these middle of the road brands that are not quite that luxury price point aren't hitting those uh, personality point. They're kind of going to be in no man's land. And if they are able to 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 bring that that down a bit and still stay profitable or even yet more profitable with that increase in ecom, um, there there's a real interesting. Um, transition that can happen there. And I think a lot of the more successful brands uh, are, are those that recognize that that sustainability can be a differentiator for them. And, and very honestly, I think we've done a disservice when we talk about sustainability in terms of just the environmental impact. Because really right. what sustainability is about is about creating a sustainable business venture. Um, and that involves how do you make certain that you're doing what's right by the planet, right by your people, but also balancing that with the profitability of the business so that you can continue to invest. And we often forget that it's that it's it's those three things. And I know that may be a 1980s definition of sustainability, people, planet and profit. But I think it's I think it's a definition that um, we, we makes a lot of sense for, for, for companies and, and particularly for executives. Um, Mike, what do you think Avery Dennison can do to, to to affect the way people that are think about that, and, and even even trying to conceive of new terminology and a way to even refer to sustainability, so it makes us think about it differently. A new terminology, verbiage, you know, whatever it is. Are you thinking about that to try to even initiate a, a new mindset? We're, we're certainly thinking about it. We. We, we, we are working on that first internally and, as, and how we think about sustainability and how we don't think of it as something separate and a unique function. It is simply good business. And then given where we sit in the supply chain, we're working with brands in particular around the messaging of, of sustainability and how do we make that come to life? Um, whether that's through digital technology or branding information, or even some brands going as far as being willing to share the care and content and the information that went into that garment and providing complete transparency of their supply chain, all of a sudden you start changing the conversation because you are sharing a lot more information. Um, whereas most consumers don't know where their garments are manufactured other than, hey, it was manufactured in China or Honduras or Vietnam. But what were the worker conditions? What went into it? What kind of chemicals were used? Those are all conversations that we're having to start changing that that conversation. Uh, coming up, you'll hear Mike share some uh, use cases uh, and profiles of brands that find the work that Avery Dennison is doing particularly useful. And we'll find out why Mike is talking about this right now. What's under the hood right after this. So check this out. For more than 15 years and more than 160,000 customers, the number one SMS marketing software, industry leader Easy Texting, has set the standard for business texting platforms. So it's a cloud-based self-service SaaS platform, and it's a top 20 best product for marketers, and it allows businesses of all sizes to reach and engage their mobile audiences. They've sent 5 billion messages to their customers, yes, but what can really move the needle for you is this. Texting delivers 600% more engagement than email. Now, what could you do with 600% more engagement? Look, 90% of people read new messages within 30 minutes, right? And text messages 134% more likely to be read than emails. So when an online boutique wanted to send their existing customers coupons and information about upcoming sales, they wanted an easy-to-use text marketing platform, and they used easy texting. 89% of customers prefer messaging to communicate with businesses. 77% of consumers have a more positive impression of companies that text. So when a clothing store with a pop-up shop wanted to increase store traffic as well as tell past customers about new arrivals, they used easy texting. In-store traffic increased within just a few hours of their first text. They had positive communications with customers, and they saved time. So 
you come to fashion as your business for valuable business insights and strategy, right? This one is a game changer. Texting allows you to facilitate scheduling, enable staffing, promote products and services, and notify customers, and the big kahuna provide an excellent customer experience. So, fashion is your business is going to hook you up. Easy Texting is offering a free trial to listeners of the Fashion is Your Business podcast. Just text FASHION to 858-585. Again, that's FASHION to 858-585. Message and data rates may apply for this recurring message program. All right, Mike, uh, before we go any further, I kind of want to ask you, uh, why are you talking about this right now? In other words, uh, for, to be candid and pull the curtain back, uh, you know, we're connected with, even though we've talked with Avery Dennison before, you personally were, we were connected to you th- through, through uh, a publicist. So that means you have something to talk about right now. So what's going on now that makes this uh, a conversation you're trying to initiate? Well, I think there's three three reasons that right now. One, we see the trend in the industry, and and that sustainability, in, in spite of the pandemic, it, it's not going away. It, it is accelerating, and consumers are now expecting it. Um, so that's the first reason. Mm-hmm. Probably from an Avery Dennison perspective, though, um, we will be we we are introducing and we continue to leverage some of our technology to drive some of the change that we think is going to be important in the industry. So in particular, um, our investment in RFID technology and how it dramatically can change the supply chain. During the pandemic, um, we have worked with a number of performance brands in launching uh, the, the RFID technology through their supply chains. And we now have data that clearly indicates those, those brands who have invested in RFID were more successful in terms of driving revenue and driving their supply chain flexibility and resiliency during that pandemic. So we, we continue to look at, at our investment in RFID technology as a game changer in the apparel industry that will continue for a number of years to come. And then... Adding on top of that is our belief that in the future, every garment or piece of footwear that is produced will have a unique digital ID attached to it. Mm -hmm. And we're investing heavily in digitizing our technology. And from a sustainability perspective, imagine the power that um, a consumer would have in their hands by having every garment have a unique ID with that. They'd be able to scan it. They'd be able to understand what went into that garment. They'd be able to make purchasing decisions based upon it. They'll be able to recycle it. They'll under, we can geofence things to make certain that they understand where their local recycler is. Um, a brand can tell a story around um, a garment that has been recycled and, and it was worn before and, and why you want to purchase this. And we're working with one of the largest outdoor brands right now and trying to help them sort of tell their broad sustainability story through this attachment of a unique digital ID to every single garment. You know, I forget if it was South by Southwest 2016 or 2017. One or the other is when, uh, right before that, you made a big announcement with Rebecca Minkoff's brand, um, basically putting RFID inside of the bags and kind of gamifying the regular usage or kind of trying to create consumer habits out of using that bag versus other bags and, you know, creating rewards and things like that. Where, where did that side of RFID go? Cause I haven't seen it like really explode. I haven't seen too much adoption on my end, but can you talk through kind of like what, what the learnings were? So that side of RFID still exists. Um, but I would look, I would separate it. So RFID technology is a trigger technology. It is a, it's a physical trigger to create a digital experience. We can create the same digital experience with other technologies. And our approach is to make certain that we have a wide variety of physical technology, RFID, 
Bluetooth technology, a simple QR code to enable the digital experience. Mm -hmm. So there, so, so we've learned that RFID technology can help enable it. And certainly brands who've invested in it, it is an add-on uh, feature for RFID. But we've also learned through some recent launches um, with, with some of our contemporary customers and, and brands that sit maybe that middle to upper tier that by putting a QR code on a label and allowing a, a consumer to scan it can create brand, yeah. brand, brand value. Um, and so we've learned that we need to have a portfolio of solutions um, of RFID of, is, is one that that will allow us to make every garment and every label in a garment more intelligent and that's yeah i mean you were you were using the same sorts of um let's say solutions that you were just mentioning with recycling yep. and geofencing and and whatever it might be in that right you're programming it the same way it's a different yep. use case essentially are you still seeing that brands are starting because look like you know there's it's it's no secret things like Fortnite and you know kind of like the embedding of products into digital experiences, especially in the gaming industry, is ginormous, right? Um, but when you take it to the physical, so back then it was Pokemon Go that inspired this, is essentially what I saw in my head um, at the time in terms of like cultural uh, references, right? Um, that now I could go with my bag and I'm around and maybe there's a partner brand that'll give me a free latte or something like that for using and wearing that, that brand's items. So are you seeing a lot of that? And how can I get a latte? Happening? <laughs> go on your Starbucks yeah. after that latte. <laughs> um, but, but, uh, but, but I would say that the, cons that, that unique consumer experience, um, we, we are still seeing it. But I don't believe, and I don't think we believe as an organization, that, that is the predominant experience. Brands are looking at, at, yeah. at, at how yeah. do we create a different level of value? So we've identified six different use cases in that space. And we're going out now and piloting those with a variety of different brands. Consumer experience is one. Creating those unique experiences is one. But things like augmenting brand protection. Um, so... Understanding as a consumer, authenticity, as in authentication, Authentic authentication. Mm -hmm. So, as a consumer, when when particularly if the the resale economy continues to grow, consumers are going to want to know and make sure that what they're buying is is indeed authentic. I mean, yeah, you have StockX that quickly rose to across the billion dollars, right? And and that that goes right into your sneaker uh, use case. But then you also have, I mean, Poshmark. We've interviewed. I mean, we had both uh, founders of Poshmark on the on the podcast separately and then together <laughs> when they kind yeah. of earlier in their journey, and now to see them explode. I mean, reselling. Uh, you have real? the real, yeah. real. I mean, uh, right right across the board. Um, I do believe wholeheartedly that reselling is the future of e-commerce. Um, so how how exactly? Well, are you and all of that? the all of those brands struggle with. When I return a garment, how do I know that it's authentic? And so, as that is an, is an yeah. example of where we're looking to engage with those 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 resellers to help solve that problem. So rather than having to hire a massive number of people who are who are experts in being able to identify the the sort of secret thread that's in, in a in a garment, it, simply be able to scan a QR code that's embedded on it or a technology that's already embedded in it from an RFID perspective um, and very quickly be able to tell that that is an authentic garment. Um, so that, that's, that, that's how we're working. But also being able to, being able to uh, actually activate that because I still believe that most consumers, while it's, while it's massive explosion of that industry, most consumers don't know how to recycle or resell a garment. So we're working with those. We're working with a number of brands of how do you scan a garment and and ensure that it brings them back to their resale website, for example. How are you thinking, Mike? About okay, so you've got to me, you've got three components of this. You've got the um, the uh, 
creation of the identity of a garment and you know its identification then you have the ability to determine if something is authentic or not but then there's also the consumer side of it not just their interest in having that but their ability to tell if something is authentic or not from their end so as opposed to having to go to some sort of uh you know take the number punch it into a website oh yeah this is authentic but if they're yeah. somewhere trying to buy that how did it so my I guess my question is, number one, how are, how are you thinking about this? And, and I guess attach that, how are you guys thinking sort of ahead of the curve about you, how you meet the customer at that point, perhaps through education or, through, uh, or maybe even embedded into, into marketing plans? Yeah. So, so we actually have a partnership um, with, with, a, with a startup that actually will allow us to enable a consumer to scan a garment and instantly know is it real or not. Um, and that solution will be available in the market and is available in the market now. Um, again, it's based upon a digital identifier um, mm -hmm. and, and being able to scan it. So that technology is there and, and will be in place on shelves in, in the near future. What we've learned is that something as simple as adding a graphic or an image on a label that shows your mobile phone and says you can interact with this is oh, wow. almost enough of a, of a training in, in our digital age for a consumer to actually just wander over and say, okay, what does this do? Um, so it doesn't take as much of that marketing and, and th that, that we, we thought it might. Um, it can be really simple icon iconography uh, that, that, that allows you to do that. Interesting, because if I can just unpack that further, you know, going back to the question that Pavan asked about, you know, gamifying things like with Rebecca Minkoff and so forth, are you thinking about in addition to putting in the identity of a garment, being able to add layers of information available, uh, you know, simply by, say, scanning that image? I mean, just to be hypothetical, maybe it's better than this, but let's say that printed on there is a QR code, unique QR code that leads to a story attached to that garment, either through about a source. Uh, you know that that's connected to a brand, a brand message, or or an adventure. Even you know that you have to buy all the garments to go through the full adventure. Let's say, and, and my, so there's so many possibilities. So how are you thinking about that? And in, in a, sort of killing two birds with one stone. And Mark, I think you're actually touching on the most difficult challenge that brands face is that the possibilities are endless. And so, <laughs> yeah. and, and so we, we actually, we actually have to work with, with brands and we work with brands to identify what are the different possibilities? What makes most sense from either a marketing perspective or from a sustainability perspective or from a brand messaging? Because once you, once you digitize a garment, once you create a unique ID, the, the, the world is your oyster. Um, and a, and, a yep. and a great example from that we've done recently, and this this is this is public, so I'm able to share it. Is Avery Dennison is the official supplier of names and numbers to the English Premier League, and so embedded within every single name and number that goes on a garment is a digital identifier that, if you hold your phone up to it, it will allow a club to take you to their website to create a unique player experience, maybe even in the future to make it your ticket. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Interesting. And, and, yeah, that's tremendous. I mean, the, the first time I saw this sort of storytelling, um, kind of interactive digital storytelling was in the augmented reality sphere with Perch Interactive. I don't know if you're, you're familiar with them. You know, it was an augmented tool, a reality tool where, you know, an AR tool where you would go in, you would hover over it, and the, the story would come alive in front of you and your screen, right? Um, are you playing around like with augmented reality or uh, is it is that to the, the brand to customize? So, so the digital ID will enable it. And then our approach is to partner with augmented reality company, uh, consumer yeah. experience companies to be able to bring those experiences to life. Our focus, though, is on those things that we think are going to add cross industry um, value. So no offense to those who are, who are looking at augmented reality or, or the, the marketing element of this, that's almost the icing on the top. 
right? We're really focused. We're really focused on you know this idea of making certain that the digital ID can be used to drive recycling of a garment or to provide information on where that garment was made. What are your care and content instructions? How do I wash this? Those sorts of things. How much support are you lending brands in terms of strategy and how they are able to deploy RFID, right, to hit their goals? So it's one thing having hardware, but then also programming the hardware is, is from this conversation seems to be so, so. So we work with brands uh, when we roll out a, a, an RFID program, first with a very structured business case. That business case is often predicated on inventory and, and inventory accuracy and control. Um, and, yeah. and we follow a, a very strict process of building that business case with, with, with brands and retailers. And then when we go into execution, we have a multi-step execution process uh, by which we partner with the hardware providers of overhead scanning or gate scanning. Um, and then we integrate the physical technology into the product with, with brands and retailers. Oftentimes though, this is a, this is a board level decision for brands. And so it starts with that, that really clear and crisp business case that, that we partner with, with the brands and retailers to develop. In terms of the overall business from a percentage standpoint, how many, how much of it is the glossy, uh, you know, how many brands are actually using it for the, that front facing customer interaction versus the business cases such as inventory management, which is like a foundational piece of their supply chain. 99.9% .9 is predicated on the business case. <laughs> I figured. Uh, okay. Yeah. Like, do you find it, do you, as a strategist though, do you find it important to have the glossy? We didn't like, why still have that 0.1% or 0.5%, whatever. It we might didn't be. find it important in the beginning. What we're seeing, though, is as the adoption of the RFID technology accelerates within the apparel industry, we are now getting the what's next question. Okay, great. We have a unique technology on our garment. We have a unique ID. What can we do with that? So the initial adoption yeah. almost always is predicated on cost reduction or inventory reduction through the supply chain. Once we roll it out, yeah. normally two to three years into a, into a brand or a customer's journey, the next question comes of, well, what's next? Now, now that I have this, what's next? And so we have needed to make certain that we have that answer of what's next. And we're building out now this idea of the digital ID solutions and, and what that could enable. Yeah. I mean, look, it's way more fun to talk about, you know, the, the possibilities yeah. and the fantasies yeah. that come with the customer kind of journey and, and how you could guide them through brand storytelling and this mystical kind of uh, universe uh, through RFID. You really can. Um, but yeah, I, I just, uh, the, the, the business case is so powerful that, you know, we, we often, you know, we're not talking about it uh, on, or at least in, the, in this conversation, I think 90% of the conversation was on the, the foundation of that you could save a shit ton of money um, and gain a lot of visibility into your supply chain in a very complex uh, environment where you're moving 40, 50% of your business online, right? What does that do to your warehouse and to your in-store? How do you make your stores mini warehouses? Like everyone's trying to grapple with, um, with, with fulfillment. Um, and it's like... Uh, <laughs> and, and you're absolutely right. The The... No, you're absolutely right. It's fun to talk about you know, the front-facing things, but the reality is RFID technology first was designed to drive supply chain visibility and understanding where your inventory was and making certain that you were able to manage that effectively across your supply chain. And oftentimes reducing the amount of inventory was enough to justify the investment. Then what happened was once you understood where it was, it enabled the, the omni-channel. So as you said, most brands now who have implemented RFID are using their stores as their, as their distribution centers. So 
you know, my wife and I were talking about this just, just recently. I ordered something online. She was stunned at how quickly it came to my house. Like, well, that's because it was it was in stock and they knew and it was in stock in a store in, in Boston down the street. And so they shipped it same day. Um, and now that you've gotten to the point of having your knowing where your inventory is, being able to ship from store and enable things like the Omni Channel or, or curbside pickup, now the question is, how do I get to the marketing piece? Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's it's amazing because, um, you know, the use case, let's say I brought it up, the Rebecca Minkoff um, kind of implementation, although that is such a small part of the overall value that you are lending to brands and even the the concentration of sales effort and, and everything, really, um, that's what stuck out to me, right, all these years later. Um, so... Yeah, like the the glossy side, although is a fraction, if that. Um, you you said ninety nine point nine really was your 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 gut reaction. I mean, but that point one percent is what um, what I expect that people are still talking about, um, or or a significant amount of marketers um, remember, right? Uh, so it's it's just it's just fascinating to me that you know that. From a from a branding and, and marketing standpoint, that uh, there's a, there's a real need for you to continue to innovate and have brands that are willing to push the boundaries to for the consumer use case in order to to continue to to, to gain uh, prevalence and, and kind of keep in in conversation. Uh, no, I, I agree with you. I I do think this is where the our overall approach of trying to create a complete digital solution. Yeah, will allow us to bring the business to business use case alive while also being able to address all these other touch points that what, that are interesting to marketing. Where folks. are you guys in that journey? Like, what are you, what are you working? How are you strategizing that, um, that larger package, I guess, or comprehensive yeah. package? So, so we, we recognize this as a, as a need in the market, and, and we're working currently um, with a number of brands, you know, one particular in, in the outdoor space, um, to create not only um, digital care and content information to augment um, the physical label, but also to start the storytelling around um, how do you return a garment? Or what is the sustainability story behind a garment? Uh, so, so it is it is a it is a focus area for us. And over the course of the next six months to a year, we have a number of pilots with brands who are on the leading edge of this, who either have implemented RFID technology or other digital ID technology to allow us to start telling the story. Um, so. Yeah, whether it's whether it's driving circularity, whether it's telling a marketing story, creating unique customer experience, um, allowing a consumer to authenticate their their shoe or their garment, those are all things that that with our applications that we're currently developing, we'll be able to enable for performance for performance brands, for outdoor brands, um, for for fast fashion companies as well. Uh, so, Mike, we've talked about a universe of things here, uh, things available now, possibilities going ahead. But how how realistic is it that the consumer can directly interact with all this right now? What what's how far away from this being a part of daily life are we? So RFID currently is not a direct to consumer technology. Okay. Your, your mo most most phones, mobile devices aren't equipped to scan it. Um, so we're relying on on you know the Samsungs and the Apples of the world to open up that technology for consumers to be able to do it. But that doesn't prevent brands and retailers from using other technologies, like a very simple QR code that's printed digitally that can be serialized to create the same experience. So by combining two technologies, you can create the business value with the consumer engagement. And with and with our software systems, you can link the two, so uh, you can create a unique digital ID that's linked to the RFID as well to create a 360 view for a brand. Well, hopefully, that'll allow the industry to kind of limp along a little bit and function, and then someone's going to go, "Hey, there must be a more efficient, better way," and create 
you know, the, go the rest of that distance in creating that new accessibility and future. Look before QR codes, before the recently, I mean, QR codes was, was sitting in the same kind of dormant yep. space, right? Where um, because your viewer couldn't just automatically, you know, the iOS itself wouldn't be able to right. pick it up. Uh, there wasn't any adoption, yep. right? So you had to have a QR code <laughs> reader, like an app and open it. Exactly. So I guess the same way with RFID, I mean, you could still link into apps, but I guess native apps are just not the trend anymore, right? Like you right. saw all these native apps becoming yeah. like, uh, you know, invested in hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. And now you're just seeing that the only ones that really exist are the marketplaces. Yeah, yeah. Um, agree. Kind of, kind of interesting. That seems like a wonderful moment to switch gears. Coming up, uh, you'll hear a little less Avery Dennis, a little more Mike Colorosi with a round of our infamous off-the-grid questions right after this. Yes, they're infamous. The laughs are back for season two. A funny people talking podcast. And that's all because Dresden Engel, the new co host of Funny People Talking, is bringing so many new laughs. It's a new season, a new co host, new segments, huge guests. Season two of Funny People Talking. Check out the podcast at funnypeopletalking.com and everywhere you find your best podcasts. Yes! And now it's time for Questions Off the Grid fashion is your business that's right off the grid questions where we ask questions frankly mike a little off the grid a little more personal in nature and uh uh even though it's just puvin and i we we still like to figure out who's going to start it off by spinning our wheel of grid destiny whoever's name comes up will ask the first question so i'm going to give that wheel a big spin should, and... should i be nervous here guys I think you should be very nervous, Mike. Okay. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> just, just, just don't get hit by the wheel. That's all. Uh, and the first question comes from Puvin. All right. Um, what was the uh, the name that the, the noun that you used to or the adjective that you used to uh, describe possibilist? Possibilist. Okay. Okay. So you you sit in an innovation role. Um, I'm wondering uh, from what is the earliest, like even going back, if you want to childhood memory, what's the the first memory you have of being an innovator and a possibilist? I grew up in a family that didn't have a lot of money. And so our innovation came out of necessity. And so I remember as a young child, Rather than using saran wrap or plastic wrap to cover uh, your 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 leftovers, we would use the backside of a saucer over a bowl. Of a bowl. Yep. Right? Yep. yep. <laughs> so, so I, think... <laughs> I love it. That's so that's so relatable. Well, I think a lot of innovations often born out of necessity. Some of the best innovations born yeah. out of necessity. <laughs> True. All right, uh, Mike. My question is. Um... You know, it takes all different. You forgot to take a spin of the wheel. Oh, Mark. did I? Oh, geez. Uh, I mean, you assumed I it was your turn, but right, the, wheel, the wheel generally will let you just see. That. Let me spin it again. <laughs> no, it turns out you're going again. <laughs> oh, again. <laughs> would you, okay, Mike. Um, <laughs> would you like me to take it for you there? Uh, uh, Mike, uh, you know, it uh, takes all sorts of different people to become innovators. Uh, some are innovators because uh, they're competitive. Some become innovators because they're, they're a brainiac. Some become innovators because they're into science fiction. So taking the breakfast club ter terminology, are you an innovator because you are a brain, a beauty, a jock, a rebel, or a recluse? Wow. wow. 
<laughs> I like it. <laughs> Took me five years to come up with that question. <laughs> You've been holding that's, that one in the, in the holster for a while. That's a good huh? question. Well, no one has ever accused me of being a beauty, so we can okay. take that one off the list. All right, that was a softball. Okay. Yeah. Um, I would also say that um, my 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 sports my sporting capability is not sufficient to ever be considered a jock. Okay. Um, so I would either say um, it's because I'm a recluse, particularly <laughs> right now, um, or or I would or or because sort of I was always good at math and science and and the nerdy kid in school. So you could sort of call me the brain, I suppose. Um, but I probably sort of tend towards the reckless at the moment. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Thank you. And uh, one more thing: uh, how can people connect with you and the things that you're doing? So you can connect with me on my LinkedIn profile, of course. So just look me up, Mike Colorosi on LinkedIn. That's that's easy enough. Um, you can also follow Avery Dennison on Instagram at Made to Mention. Uh, so so that would be a great way to follow. And then of course. Um, just check us out um, on on the web, AveryDennison.com. Well, that seems uh, that seems reasonable enough to me. Well, all right. Well, thank you so much, Michael Colorosi, the VP of Innovation and Sustainability at Avery Dennison. It was really a wide ranging and interesting conversation. So, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And uh, by the way, I uh, hope you stay safe and well and as comfortable as can be, and find a lot of uh, you know. Uh, um, satisfaction with the work you're doing in, in spite of everything uh, going on. Well, thank you. I thought you were going to say on my reclusivity, but yes, <laughs> that as well, as well. But, but, but no, Pavan and Mark really appreciate the, the opportunity. It's been great chatting with you. Really enjoyed the conversation. So wish you both well as well. Stay safe. Thank yeah. You. Thanks you so too. much. Uh, and, and next time I grab old fashions with Jonathan Aiken, I'll, uh, I'll give you a call. Cause you, you seem to be much better company than him. No. I'll, 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 let, I'll let him know. I'll let him know. Probably kidding. I love that guy. Challenge <laughs> extended. There you go. All right. Well, that's it for this episode of fashion is your business again. Thanks, Mike. Uh, thank you so much for listening, everybody. We really appreciate it. You know, that's true. And, uh, that's it. So, uh, for my good friend, pub and ball, Shake it easy, guys. I'm Mark Rako. Have a wonderful day, everybody. Bye-bye. This has been Fashion Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network, copyright 2020. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at fashionisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard.